Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, there's no one higher, there's no one greater, there was no one like you. No one who is as patient and kind and loving and grace-giving as you. Lord, you've given us this shot at life and we want to do it well. We want to live every fiber of our being, every second of every day for you, for your glory and for your kingdom. So God, give us a heart of wisdom so we can discern between what is good and what is great between what is average and what is extraordinary. God, we want the life that you have for us to live. So give us the perseverance to want something greater, to strain a bit out of our comfort zone, to the great unknown, to see what you can do with a life completely devoted to you. God, please speak through me today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to welcome everybody here in the room, also those watching us via the stream and on TV. We're so glad uh, that you have joined with us. Just a couple of quick things I want to get into. First thing is this, our VIP party is happening online. That is going to be Sunday night at 7 o'clock. If you serve in any of our campuses, in any of our ministries, you are invited to the VIP. We have your name written down on a list. If you'll come by the church between 8.30 and 5 o'clock next week, we have a t-shirt and a one-day-at-a-time bracelet that we would like to give to you. If you just want to see what's up with VIP, you're no longer you're not serving currently in a ministry of our church. You can still tune in. It's going to be on stream on Facebook. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on our Sagebrush app. All the ways that you used to stream our content or are currently streaming our content, you will be able to see. It'll be the first time we've had one service where a lot of folks can gather together. I can only imagine what the chat room is going to be like during the VIP. One thing I want to make mention of, we are going to be doing the Lord's Supper during VIP, so grab some crackers, grab some juice so you can participate in the Lord's Supper with us uh, as well. I'm going to be sharing during the VIP everything the church has gone through during this whole COVID thing and all the ways that God has used you. You are going to be blown away. So whether you're a volunteer or not, you serve on a team or you don't, check us out. And then after 7 o'clock, that service will go on demand so you can watch it whenever you want to. Now, last weekend, I gave you the great big announcement that our Farmington camp Campus had their grand opening, and we've got some video of this, so take a look.
So after seven months of not being able to meet in all of our Los Lunas campus, you know exactly what I'm talking about because they're still waiting for their opportunity to get together again. Of course, they, you can meet in Los Lunas on Sunday afternoons at 3.30, but as far as your own facility, they waited seven months for this moment in time, and boy, they just came in droves, and it was so exciting to see all the people uh, back together again worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it couldn't have been done without your generosity. Every week, you guys give your tithes and your offerings, you're keeping us afloat, and we can't thank you enough. We were able to do that entire Farmington project, and we don't owe a single dime on any of it. It is paid in full, and that's because of your generosity. So thank you so much for that. All right, we're starting a brand new series today called Are We There Yet? Jesus was walking down the street one day, and as he was walking, there was a guy who was sitting on the sidewalk. Well, Jesus went over and sat down on the sidewalk next to the guy, and he put his arm around him. He said, are you okay? And the guy said, well, I'm blind. I can't see, and I'm discouraged. So Jesus healed him immediately, and he could see, and he walked away with great joy. Jesus walked down another 100, 200 yards and saw another guy sitting on the sidewalk. Jesus sat down, put his arm around him. He said, what's going on? You seem so sad. He said, I'm lame. I can't walk. And Jesus immediately healed him. And he starts skipping down the road full of joy. Jesus walks a couple hundred more yards, and there's another guy sitting over on the sidewalk. And he's crying worse than the first two. So Jesus sits down, puts his arm around him, and says, hey, man, what's going on? He said, I'm the dad of three teenage girls. <laughs> Jesus put his arm around him and wept with him. <laughs> Parenting, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? Years ago, I uh, had a birthday, and on uh, my birthday, I got several gift cards, and I, I like shoes, and so I thought, I'll go get myself a brand new pair of tennis shoes. And my mom was in town from Kansas City, and so I took my mom, I took my, my wife. I was 45 years old at the time, and, and so I, we headed to the mall back when the mall was relevant in our town, and, and we went to the mall, and there was a footlocker that was there, and they have a wide assortment of different shoes, and so I picked out a couple of styles that I was kind of interested in, and I asked him if they go back and get my side so I could try them on. Well, they did. They brought the shoes out, and I, I tried the pair on. And, of course, when you get a brand-new pair of shoes on, you want to walk around a little bit. So I walked around a little bit, make sure the shoes would fit nice, that it wasn't slipping in my heel. And then I went over, and I got ready to sit down on the bench, and my mom said, stick your foot out. And instinctively, I, I stuck my foot out. Did I fail to mention I'm 45 years old when this took place? My mom said, stick your foot out. And instinctively, I stuck my foot out. And she starts feeling to see if there's enough room on my toe. I'm like, what, what, what just happened? And then she turned to the employee showing me the shoes and she said, listen, I'm a little concerned about the stitching. Is this going to last? And I'm thinking, do you think I'm going to recess? I'm going to be playing kickball later on. What's going on? Parenting. Once you become a parent, you're always a parent, aren't you? And obviously, as you get older, your kids get older, the role of parenting changes. Someone needs to tell my mom, if you would, I would really appreciate that. But, but that's the role. We, what are we doing as a parent? We're trying to get our kids ready for the rest of their life. Between the ages of birth and when they finally leave our houses, we want them to be ready for what they're going to be facing in this world that we live in. Our job is to prepare our kids. So here's my question. What are you shooting for? What's the goal? What are you aiming at? Let me tell you what most parents are aiming at. They're aiming at success. 
And, and there's nothing wrong with aiming at success. We want our kids to be, you know, make enough money to pay their bills. We want them to have a nice house someday and drive a nice vehicle. Uh, we want them to have someone that they marry that looks good in the Christmas cards, right? We want that. We, we want them to be an upstanding citizen, right? That's what we want. We want our kids to, to be successful. Can I let you know a little secret? Everybody up and down the street wants the same thing. And here's what's interesting. To make your kid a success, you don't need God's help. Because everybody up and down your street is shooting for the exact same thing, and many of those people don't have a relationship with God, and they're doing a very fine job of making their kids a success. For some of those people, they're doing a better job than we are. Here's the question I have. Is the goal of parenting to make our kids a success? Because Jesus said this, right? He said, do not store for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather store for yourself treasure in heaven. Where mouth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So here's what I'm asking you. Are you setting the bar too low? Remember a couple of months ago we were doing a series. I don't remember what series it was. But we talked about the three levels of living. And we said the bottom level, uh, level of living was survival. And that's the person who's just trying to live for the weekend. You know, they're kind of getting by paycheck to paycheck. They're just surviving. And a lot of people have chosen that's where they want to live. And then there's the success level. You know, we're going to work really hard and climb the corporate ladder and make as much money as we possibly can and be a huge success because we think that's the be-all, end-all of life. And a lot of people live at that level of living. But there's a greater level, isn't there? And we talked about living a significant life, a life that actually makes an impact in the lives of somebody else, a, a life that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. So here's a question for the parents, and here's a question for each of us individually. Is your life like that? And parents, are, are you sharing a great vision to your kids about the impact that they could make with their one shot at life? Because the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. What does that mean? It means they die. It means something inside of them dies. The dream dies inside. The purpose that God has placed inside of them, it dies. So here's the whole hope of this series. I'm going to give you four questions that every person needs a compelling answer to. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of a parent trying to help their child get the right answer. But listen to me. You can't give somebody else what you don't have. Let me say that again because that was good. You can't give somebody else what you don't have. And so if you don't have compelling answers to these questions, if you're not living out the compelling answers to these questions, you can't pass it on to somebody else. And when I tell you that this could change the whole trajectory of your life, I'm not kidding. If you look at these four questions and take them extremely seriously and then persevere to a point where you say, I want to live according to the answer that God's placed inside of me, you will live a life of significance, and your kids just might follow you into living a life of significance. You say, Todd, you got my, got my attention. What are these questions? I'm just going to give you one. You got to come back next week for the next one, all right? Here's the first one. Write this one down. What are you going to live for? Probably the most important question out of the four. What in the world are you going to live for? Now, we said we're going to look at this from the perspective of a child. So what does a child live for? Well, between the ages of birth and uh, to about age 10 or 11, let's be honest, a child lives for their mom and dad. These are the golden years of parenting. Oh, 
when you hear their words echo down the hallway. Mom said, Dad said, oh, it was music to my ears. When they'd have a friend over and they would fight about whose dad was the biggest or whose dad was the toughest or whose dad was the best good looking. And we all knew what the answers were. When they would fight over the mom and say, my mom is prettier than your mom. Oh, you were the center of their universe. If you have kids right now between the ages of birth and 10, enjoy this season of your life. Because around the age of 11 to 12, they lose oxygen supply to the brain. And as a result of that, you go way down on the totem pole. At one point in time, everything you said, everything you did, they idolized, they mimicked, they thought you were the greatest thing that has ever been. And then they enter middle school and they become embarrassed of you. See, no longer are you the center of their world anymore. No they now have little booger-eating morons that are the center of their world, right? Their friends become the center of their world. And what their friends think and what their friends say, it becomes the most important thing in their life. I remember when my oldest daughter, I would drop her off at the high school. Boy, she hated it. And I would drop her off at the high school, and we'd go around a little circle thing at Rio Rancho High School. And, and uh, I would... I rolled the window down as she got out of the car so she knew what was coming, you know. And she was like walking away as fast as she could. And I would say, Kenzie! Kenzie! And she would keep walking as fast as she could. I'd say, make good choices today! Make good choices today! I did it every day. And I loved it when she turned around and she would try to kill me with her eyes. You know what I'm talking about, parents? You ever seen that before? What, what, what happens between, I don't know, the ages of 12 and, I don't know, 21, 22, 23? How come they woke up and we ended up being stupid? What happened there? Why, why don't they look to us anymore? Why don't they turn to us anymore? Why is it that their friends become the be-all, end-all of their life? Why do they look at you like you're some prehistoric animal that has no idea what you're talking about? They look at you and think, what, is it, what do they know about being a teenager? They completely forget that you were once one, Right? What do they know about being relevant to today? And all of a sudden, they roll their eyes all the time. You want to roll their head off their body? That's the way that works right there. It just drives you absolutely crazy. What happened to these kids? Well, they made the center of their life their friends. And they let peer pressure get the best of them. There was a woman who lived to be 102 years old. 102 they ask her a question, what's the benefit of living to be 102? She said, there's no peer pressure. A lot of people giving into peer pressure. A lot of teenagers struggling with peer pressure. Let's go to the big board and look at peer pressure statistics. This is what your teenager is facing today. This is the cultural war that they find themselves in. You ready? Every year, 400,000 teenage girls give birth. That's the world we live in today. Every day, 959 teenage girls get an abortion. Every day. COVID's a deadly disease. And yet, since COVID's begun, it's killed less people than teenage girls have killed their babies. You say, oh, now, Todd, don't get political on me. I'll get biblical on you. This has always been a biblical issue. God's the one who formed us together. Before you were even formed in the womb, God knew you and had a plan and a purpose for your life. Maybe the nation should be a little bit more concerned about that.
How about this one? Every year, one in four teenagers, uh, teenagers contract an STD or an STI. How about this one? Every year, 4,600 teenagers commit suicide. Every year, 157,000 youth receive medical care for self-inflicted injuries. Every three minutes, a child is arrested for a drug offense. Every seven minutes, a child is arrested for a violent offense. 70% of all teenagers drink alcohol. 60% of all teen deaths in car accidents are alcohol-related. You see, what happens in those teenage years is their peers become the be-all, end-all of their life, and they will do whatever they tell them to do. Because they want to fit in, they want to be a part, and then they end up making bad choices, they end up making bad decisions, and they have tons of regret. Now, why is it that we're like this? Because it's not just teenagers that give in to peer pressure, adults still give in to peer pressure as well. I mean, every time you did something stupid in your life, for the most part, you didn't do it alone. Somebody was egging you on, somebody gave you the thoughts, someone gave you the idea. When the Bible talks about us, it talks about us in the terms that we are sheep. It's not a very attractive, complimentary name to give us because sheep are dumb and sheep are defenseless. And let me tell you the thing that really ticks me off about sheep is that sheep are followers. I read this in the Washington Post. There was a couple of sheep herders, a couple of shepherds who were out watching their flocks. And when one sheep got the bright idea to walk off a cliff down to its death, And then what they were shocked was is that the number of sheep that began to follow the first sheep and they all started walking off the cliff one after the other, after the other, after the other. You ready for this? This wasn't a small herd. 1,500 sheep walked off the cliff. Now the good news of the story is only 400 died. The other 1,100 fell onto a pillow of wool. And they were able to walk away. Well, they they interviewed the the shepherds. And they said, what was it like watching 1,500 sheep just kind of head over the cliff because one decided to do it? And they said it was infuriating. We waved our arms. We shouted at them. We tried to get their attention to go a different direction. We tried to warn them. And they, they just kept going one after the other after the other. And the guy said in the interview, he said, you would have thought that one of the sheep would have said to another one, this is a bad idea. But it didn't happen. So how do we make certain that our kids aren't making their friends the center of their world? How do we make certain that they're not blindly walking over a cliff, making fools of themselves and doing damage to themselves for some for the rest of their life? Well, I think the Bible's the answer. And I think there's a passage of Scripture, parents, that if you'll embrace this passage of Scripture, I think you can spare your kid from being a statistic. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, With all your soul and with all your strength, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
All right, so he says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So right? so to love God with every fiber of your being. So parents, if you want to make certain that your child is not a statistic, then you have to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Because you can't impress upon them something that you don't have. You see, here, here's what's interesting about those little sinners that live in your home. Is they watch you. And they watch to see if you do love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Isn't that a bummer? They watch you. They watch to see if you really take this stuff that we do around here uh, seriously. If you actually, you know, kind of apply it to your life. They, they listen to your prayers. That, that's when you pray. And they listen to you pray the same thing over and over and over and over again. And there's no power. And there's no passion. There's no belief that God can do anything greater than give you a good day. This is how lame a lot of people's prayers are. Because they don't even think about who they're talking to and what he's capable of. So here's how our prayer goes. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Just be with us. Help us. Help us to get along with each other. Jesus' name, amen. And all heaven's like, whoa. Get the angels ready. They need another good day. When's the last time you prayed a big, hairy, audacious prayer in front of your kids? A prayer that was Red Sea territory. Why in the world would we think our kids would ever take prayer seriously when they watch a mom and a dad never really pray? You sit down for the meal. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food in which we're to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. There, there's a, a new group of young people that are coming up. They're called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The rise of the nuns. They've rejected the faith of their mom and their dad. And why did they do that? Because their mom and dad didn't have any faith to give to them. They said, why would I get serious about Jesus? My parents never got serious about him. See, it's a bummer, isn't it? But they watch to see whether you read the Bible. How often does your kid see you reading the Word of God and that that's a priority of your life? See, they, they watch to see that we neglect the Word of God. But we don't neglect Facebook. We don't neglect Instagram. We're snappy-chatting, we're ticky-talking, you know, we're doing all that stuff, right? We got time for that, but not time for the Word of God. What makes you think your child is all of a sudden going to have an interest in what God's Word has to say if you don't have an interest in what God's Word has to say? They watch you worship. When you're in this room, when you're at home, they watch you get up and go to the bathroom during the worship hour. They watch you get up and get a Chips Ahoy cookie. That's a good time during the worship hour. They watch you let distractions in your phone and playing a game. They watch when you don't sing. They watch when church is something that you do when there's nothing else to do. The average sagebrush 
before the pandemic, went to church once every six to eight weeks. That was it. All the other times, there was something else that was more important. So if you don't take worshiping your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, seriously, what makes you think when your child gets old enough that they'll take it seriously? They're watching you. And they're watching when we have, you know, an application, which is every week if you weren't aware of that. Something that we say, let's go work on this. I'm in this with you. Let's, let's, go, let's get this thing done. Let's get some traction in this area of life. They watch to see if you do any of it. Last week when we talked about griping and moaning and groaning and complaining. Your, your, your kids, <laughs> they were listening. And you probably talked the same way this past week as you did before you came to church. And they're like, well, where's the power in God's word? Where's the power in what you know, the Holy Spirit has to say? We have a whole generation of kids growing up today that have rejected the faith of their mom and dad because they didn't see any faith in their mom or dad. So here's your assignment if you choose to accept it. Start to impress upon your children your faith. Start living out your faith in front of them. Here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. I want you to start praying with your family. And I want you to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers. You say, I want to know what to pray for. I bet you would come up with several things if you were praying for your kids. One of the most powerful things you can do as a parent is pick one child every day and say, I'm going to pray for that child. I'm going to pray for them privately, and I'm going to pray for them in front of them. I'm going to pour out a blessing upon my child, and I'm going to pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer that gives my child a vision for what life is truly all about and how God can use them to make a difference. You know, a lot of kids, they've never had a mom or a dad ever pray something like that over them. So this next week, here's what I want you to do. At least once a day, I want you to have a time when you gather the family together, probably at the dinner table, maybe at the breakfast table. Maybe you just do it right before everybody goes to bed. You pull everybody together, and then you pick one of your kids, and you say, that's the child we're praying for. That's the child we're going to pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer over. Show them that you truly have faith in a God that you believe can do abundantly more than anything you've dreamed or imagined. Pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer in front of them. Something so impossible that only God could come through. Show them that you believe that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you've dreamed or imagined. Don't pray these lame non-risk-taking prayers anymore. Let me give you another one. I want you to crack your Bible open with them. I want you to start reading the Word of God. You say, where would I start? Well, on the Sagebrush app, you can go to the New Testament plan and start reading the book of Luke with them. And then start answering their questions. It said this. It said, impress these on your children. Press what? And press the word of God on them. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. What does this mean? God wants us to constantly reinforce what's going on in our life with our kids. And I'm going to give you a word of warning, parents. Are you ready for this? Your kids are going to think you're weird. Especially if you've waited until they're 16, 17 years old to finally do this. They're going to say, oh, my gosh, what, what just happened to mom? What just happened to dad? Well, got a Jesus freak down the hallway. That's what we got right now. I don't know what's going on. If you'll get past the awkwardness and you'll push through it, 
you might have a son or a daughter who actually understands that the Word of God is the Word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That the Word of God was given to us so that every young man, every young woman would be thoroughly equipped for whatever battle they might face on this day, that we lean on the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we apply the Word of God to our life. Again, parents, how in the world do you expect your kids to make Jesus the center of their life if you don't have him as the center of your life? And how do you expect, listen to me, how do you expect your kids to have an exciting, adventurous, risk-taking faith in God when they've never seen it in you? How can you expect your kids to not care so much about what all their friends and peers are saying about them when we're consumed with what everybody else is saying about us? We have to teach our kids that we live our life for an audience of one. There was a, years ago, Cammie was a, my youngest daughter was going into kindergarten. And it was the night before kindergarten, I went into her room to pray with her. And uh, she was scared. Anytime you're going into an unknown situation, I mean, you had kids, you, you know. And if you haven't, you've been in kindergarten yourself. So you know how scary that place can be. And I said, what's the matter? What's going on? Yeah, she said, I'm just a little, I'm a little nervous. I said, what's, what's, what's going on? She said, well, what if somebody calls me ugly? What should I do, Daddy, if somebody calls me ugly? And I said, you punch him in the face. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. Cammie, you're a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are knit together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God does not make junk. You are priceless. You are a princess. Don't you ever let anyone make you believe anything less than that. God's opinion always trumps what anybody else says. And God is so head over heels in love with you that he sent his son to die for you. But he did not stay dead, but he rose again from the dead. And do you know why he did that for you, Cammie? Because he wants to spend forever with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So don't you dare fear what someone else has to say. You live your life for him and him alone. Now, I'm not sure how much my kindergartner caught on in that moment, but I've been saying these kinds of phrases to my kids for over 20 years. And even when they didn't want anything to do with it, you keep praying it. You keep modeling it. You keep showing up. You let them know that Jesus to you is more than just one hour on the weekend kind of a thing, that he means everything to you. That he is the be-all, end-all of our lives. And that we live our life one day to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that nothing else matters except for that. And when they see that, when they see the devotion and the perseverance, when they see the single-minded focus of living your life for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when they see the adventure, when they see the risk, when they hear the big, hairy, audacious prayers, and they see those prayers being answered, they'll want it. They'll want it. They'll be blown away at the fact that God so loved them that he gave his son, that he down a cross and rose again so they can spend forever with him in heaven. And they'll be blown away that God wants to use them 
to impact this world today. Parents, we're in trouble when our kids are more concerned about what everybody else is saying about them and everybody else is thinking of them and they're not thinking anything about Jesus. And so at some point in time, we gotta start. We gotta start reading the Bible together. We start praying together. We gotta start showing our faith and talking about our faith. So here's the big questions I'm gonna leave you with. You ready? Four questions. These aren't the big four, but these are good four. Are you helping your kids understand who God is and what God has for their life? You say, well, that's why I send them to church. We get your kids for 52 weeks, excuse me, 52 hours a year. And that's if you show up every week, and even I don't show up every week. So if you're once every six weeks, we see your kids not very often. You do the math. It's your responsibility. We're here to love you and support you and help you and resource you and be there for when you have questions about how to do it. But it doesn't say your church is supposed to. It says, parent, you impress it upon your kids when you lie down, when you get up, when you walk along the road. This is your responsibility. So again, are you helping your kids understand who God is and what God is for their life? Are you developing within them a love for God? Are you contagious? Do they see your love for God? Do, do you talk about God and his wisdom for life? Do you talk about the dilemmas that you face and how you're guided by the word of God? And so you're not gu- gu- guided by you know, your opinion or Uncle Bob's opinion. or in, It's what does God's word have to say? And they see you studying that and looking for that. And when you realize this is what God says, then that's what you do. How about this one? Are you painting a picture to your kids of what a life centered on God looks like? You might want to write this one down. Our kids need to know that you see greatness in them and that God sees greatness in them. God wants to use your kids to do more than just make money. He wants them to make a difference. And he wants you to lead them. As you seek to live a significant life advancing the kingdom of God. So what's the center of your life? What are you truly living your life for? I know you know the answer. I want to know, are you living the answer? Ask your kids. They'll tell you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, parenting's brutal. It's easy to get sidetracked and to make the day-to-day life the most important thing rather than the spiritual aspects. Lord, I pray this has been a wake-up call for all of us. There's not a one of us that couldn't do this better. And Lord, here's the interesting thing. It doesn't matter if our kids have already moved away. We still have the opportunity to make a spiritual impact in their life. We still have the opportunity to love you, model what it means to have faith in you, to trust you, to risk all for you. God, I pray for anybody who's just been content with just kind of a lukewarm 
one hour a weekend kind of deal faith. I pray, God, they want something greater. Not only for themselves, but also for the little ones who are following behind them. Lord, I pray for all the kids represented in our church and all throughout the world, people who are watching us right now. I pray a blessing upon those kids. I pray that they would come to know you as the leader and forgiver of their life. But Lord, I pray that those kids would never be satisfied with a superficial relationship with you. That they would want to know you. That they would want to leverage their entire life for you. That you would burn such a passion and an intensity inside of them that it consumes them. And they would never be satisfied with living on the level of success but they would want significance far and above everything else. That they would want their life to matter for your kingdom. That they would live to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Give us wisdom, God, as parents, as adults, to live this kind of life in front of them so that they might see that you are real to us and that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you are worthy of our best. God, I pray that the opinions that everybody seems to live for among others would fade from the view and we would live our lives wholeheartedly for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.